Hallelujah. I'm on power. I've got the power. Wow. It's good, this. Just complicated, that's all. It's fine. Are you glad you came? Hasn't it been good? Well, it's been better than good. It's been very good. And God looked over all that he made and saw it was good. And after he created women, as that little verse and says, and he saw it was very good. I don't understand that bit. <laughs> don't understand it at all. Maybe I've got a bad Bible. Anyway, hasn't it been great, you know, all that's taken place, all the worship and the speaking and so just the sense of the hand of God upon all this. And uh, all the guys who lead us in ministry in different churches, you know, you thought before this weekend that, you know, they were all spiritual. <laughs> now you know they're not, don't you? But they've shared the fact we're all on a journey. We're all on this journey together and there's none of us there yet. We're all just imperfect people living under the grace of God and we're all this journey trying to obey Father God on the way to our heavenly destiny. That's where we're going. So we just want you to know we're not as spiritual as you think. I mean, you probably saw Marcus walking backwards and forward here last night. You know the, you know the way we pace his leaders sometimes when his ministry taken on and you sat down there thinking there's a really spiritual man. He's talking to God. He probably is. He's shouting, help God. What do you do next? But we don't tell you that because, you know, we want you to feel secure that we know what we're doing. And actually, we don't. You know, sometimes you see us lying in our faces before God, and you think we're under the power. Actually, we're probably falling asleep. If you listen for a bit longer, you probably hear us snoring. Even the prophetic stuff, you think, you know, these angels keep appearing to us and we hear these voices from heaven. Actually, what we're doing, we're fumbling in the dark. We're just fumbling in the dark, hoping we get a little bit of light. And the, I've said this a couple of times, but Paul and I, two or three months ago, were talking about this whole thing, how we're not as spiritual as we think. In fact, we reached the conclusion that we should change the name of Kingdom Life Church to the Apostolic Church of the Three Blind Mice. <laughs> That's kind of more where we're at. As leaders, we've all got white sticks. There's none of us there yet. I'm on a journey. I'm on a journey. You know, my father died when I was two. Didn't know him. My mother married again when I was nine. I never did get on with my stepfather. He didn't know how to father me. His father never fathered him. The relationship was so bad at 16, I left home and joined the Navy. When I was in the Navy the first couple of years, I was probably okay. Then I got into the drink scene. I used to start my day with drink and I was hooked in drink. I'd reach above my hammock, have a bottle of wine, then I'd start my day. And I also dabbled in the occult and everything else you can think of. I've got all the T-shirts. I've got all the t-shirts. I've known the other side of life. And when God got me, he was a wham-bang, turned me around. And, uh, but you see, I dabbled in the occult because what I was trying to do, I was trying to find my earthly father. 
I was trying to find him. Because there was something in here, I just, I wanted to talk to him. And I wanted to find him. And you know, with a spirit guide, I had a spirit guide for a number of years. And and then I remember one night lying in my bed, because I used to go to a Sunday school, with the Sunday school when I was a kid. And I remember the Lord's Prayer. And I just started to feel there's something not right about me dealing with these demons. There's something not right about this. And this is still as an unbeliever. I just started to, to pray the Lord's Prayer every night. And, and I got a bit of peace and a bit of rest because I used to be tormented with these things at night. And praying the Lord's Prayer as an unbeliever started to give me some rest. And eventually, in searching for my earthly father, I found my heavenly father. Praise God. I got washed in the blood, the brand new identity. Once I was this person, now I'm this person. At midnight, the 12th of March, 1974, lying in my bed, I said, There's Lord Jesus Christ, I believe you're the Son of God. Forgive me my sins and come into my life. And bang, this power hit me. Something left me. There was nothing for about 30 seconds. Then I was filled with this power that was absolutely wonderful. And the following day, I wanted everyone else to know Jesus Christ is alive. I found my Heavenly Father. But I didn't know him in terms of relationship at that time. And I'll share a bit more of my testimony a little bit later on. But tonight, I want to speak about the road to freedom and healing for the harvest. Because we're not the end result. Did you know that? We are not the end result. So God wants us to get sorted out so we in turn can help others. And we're all on this journey. But, you know, if we're going to get lasting breakthroughs in our lives, we must take responsibility for our lives. What happened back in the garden, there was an abdication of responsibility. And look at the consequences. We've all suffered from these consequences since. And brothers and sisters, from the very moment we were born again into the kingdom of God, one of the first things that should have happened is we should have picked up responsibility for our lives. Sadly, some Christians will not take responsibility for their lives, and I believe in ministry, but they want us to spend all our time ministering to them because they will not pick up responsibility for their lives and realize we should take responsibility for the choices that we make. So we must take responsibility for our lives, and thank you for that amen over there. That was wonderful. Thank you. That little child wants to take responsibility. Isn't that good? Praise God for that. You see, we can spend all our lives being victims, but in Christ we're meant to be victors. You know, there's this thing Max Tibby talks about, about, you know, victors get better, victims get bitter. So are you one of those that's getting better on a daily basis? Or are you one of those that's getting more bitter on a daily basis? You see, Something can happen to us in our life. A lie can enter in at that time. We can believe that lie. That affects our behavior. We start to live like a victim. And it's like having this word victim tattooed in our forehead. Everyone else begins to treat us like a victim. It's like a self-fulfilling prophecy. And we need to stop that dead in its tracks. And we need to know 
that God didn't call us to be victims, but to be victors, because we're more than conquerors in Christ as his sons and daughters. It's an identity issue. So many people find their identity in what they do instead of who they are. And we even do that in the church, do we not? There been lots of great testimonies about that performance driven and all the rest of it. You know, I don't know how many books I've got in my office, how many books I've read over the years, thousands of them. You know, you can have them. I've come to the conclusion all is grace. All is grace. Why did I waste all that time? All is grace. It's all the grace of God. It's all because of what Jesus did in the cross. And if we don't understand that at the moment we became saved, we became a brand new person. You see, when I get born again, when I get born again, I got a brand new passport. There was someone called Brian Alexander Nish, the Christian, came into being on the 12th of March, 1974. That person had never, ever lived on planet Earth before. There was another person over here, Brian Alexander Nish, the unbeliever. At that moment, he died because a new person came into being over here because I'm a brand new creation. Surely I look like a brand new creation. Well, you're not very enthusiastic. I mean, do you want the back view? Is that it? How about, on this side? I'm a brand new creation. I am much more beautiful in the inside than I am on the outside. I am. I am. I'm a son of God, you see. I can walk tall. I don't have to walk around like this. I'm not a victim. See, victims are bowed down in their spirits. Sons and daughters can stand up straight on the inside. And if you want to stand up straight on the outside, first of all, you've got to stand up straight on the inside. I'm a son of my father. Wolf! And my dad's a big dad, so there. Mm. Mm. <laughs> so we need to start making choices and take responsibility for our lives, do we not? And if we're going to maintain breakthroughs, we need to get into that place where faith and forgiveness and knowing how to demolish strongholds becomes part of our lifestyle. We should live like it. It's not just something that happens at a moment in time. It's a lifestyle that God gave us. Just say to the person next to you, I'm a child of God. Wow. Isn't that good? Anyway, I'll read something out of the Bible now. Because as a pastor, you've got to read out the Bible. Mark chapter 11, verse 22 to 24 says this. So Jesus answered and said to them, Have faith in God. For assuredly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain... Be removed and be cast into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things he says will happen, he will have whatever he says. Therefore I say to you, whatever things when you pray, believe that you receive them, and you will have them. Faith. Living a life of faith 
keeps us at the victor end of the spectrum and stops us being victims. We need to appropriate what Jesus accomplished for us on the cross. We're not in the Christian fatalism. Okay, sirrah, sirrah, it will happen anyway. No, it won't. God wants us to grow up and take responsibility for our lives and make the right choices. And part of that is to appropriate what Jesus did on the cross. By faith. By faith. That means sometimes we won't feel like it. But we don't live by feelings, we live by faith, don't we? Just nod. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Hebrews chapter 11 verse 1 says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Well, Max Tibby says this, Faith hears the inaudible, sees the invisible, believes the incredible, and receives the impossible. You didn't hear that, did you? I'll read that again. Faith hears the inaudible, sees the invisible, believes the incredible, and receives the impossible. Wow. I want to live there. Well, actually, I'm supposed to live there. Because the just should live by faith. We're the just. We're the righteous. We are called to live by faith. We walk by faith, not by sight. That's part of our calling as God's sons and daughters. Living and walking by faith. And that verse says, have faith in God. So the thing is this, what is our image of God? Very, very important. Do we see God as a big policeman in the sky that's just going to bop us over the head whenever we do something wrong? Or do we see God as a loving Father who wants to bless us? Very, very important if we're going to be in a place of faith. Because if you see God, if you've got a wrong image of God, you're not going to be able to be in faith and believe that you can receive from someone who doesn't love you. Or how big is your God? In our humanity, it's so easy for us to bring God down to our size, isn't it? We do it all the time, actually. That's why worship is good for us because it begins to exalt God and we begin to lift him up again and then we rise up with him and then we look down and see things from heaven's perspective. And these great big mountains become molehills because we're seeing it from heaven's perspective. So how big is our God? Well, my God's pretty big. He's the, the creator God, the master of the universe. He's the sovereign Lord God Almighty. He has all power. He has all authority. He can do whatever he likes at any time. He can even do impossible things. That's the God I worship. And I find it easy to put faith in a God like that who loves me. Because God is not just a loving father. He's the sovereign Lord God Almighty. And he's working out his plans and purposes in your life and in my life. He doesn't, you know, the Trinity aren't in heaven when one of us does something wrong, biting the fingernails. What are we going to do now? <laughs> he's had one plan A since before the beginning of time. He's still working to plan A. He's still working out his plans and his purposes. How he does it is a mystery. If I knew how he did it, I'd be like God and I'm not. 
But God is still working out his plan in your life and in my life. And somehow he brings it all together. All the good stuff, the bad stuff, all that we've done. Somehow he brings it all together and his great master plan. And on that final day, we're going to stand before him and say, God, you're so wise. I just wouldn't have done it like that. Have you ever been there? Have you ever been there? Only to discover God's been right all the time. Man, that's where I live my life. He's amazing. He's big and he loves us. God's in our sight. Isn't that good? God is for me. Say to someone, God's for me. Good. So we've got to have faith in God, but we've also got to have faith in God's word because God and his word are one. It says in the beginning of the book of John, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So God and His Word are one. In Romans ten seventeen, it says, Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word. God and His Word are one. If we want to know the will of God, the will is the Word. So we need faith in God and faith in His Word. Because God's Word is true. Heaven and earth will pass away, but he, these words will never pass away. God's word is more solid than the very ground under our feet tonight. It will never pass away. Isn't that good? Wow. I like faith. Keeps our spirits active, don't you? I'll tell you what, whenever you come out of faith, your spirit goes flat. Faith is something that keeps your spirit active, expectant, vibrant. I like that. Otherwise, I'd backslide. Mm. Well, we need to exercise our faith. See, faith contains three ingredients. Believing in our heart, confessing with our lips, but also corresponding actions. And these three things must line them up if our faith is going to be effective and fruitful. Believing in our heart, confessing with our lips, but there must also be corresponding actions. These are the examples when you pray for a sick person who may have a bad shoulder. Get them to say, thank you, I've received my healing. Thank you very God. Now get them encourage them to do what they couldn't do before. Maybe that's move the arm. Corresponding actions. That can give them a miracle. So believing in the heart, confessing with the lips, corresponding actions. These three things must be there if our faith is going to work. And God wants us to exercise our faith. He wants us, like I said, speak to the mountain. So what's your mountain tonight? Command it to move in the name of Jesus because you've got authority as a child of God. It may be a circumstance, a problem. It may be sickness, whatever it is. You have authority to speak to the mountain in Jesus' name. You command that mountain to move. You then receive your answer to prayer by faith. And in the New King James that I've got, it says about receiving, but most of the versions talk about received. It says this, this, these words here, it says that when you pray, believe that you receive them until you, and you will have them. Most other verses say, believe you have received them and you will have them. In other words, we believe, we've got to believe we've got it before we get it. I'll say that again. You've got to believe you've got it before you get it. 
Everything that we receive from God, we first of all receive it in the Spirit. We are made up spirit, soul, and body. We receive it in our spirit, so we believe we've got it before we see it in the natural. We've got to believe we've got it before we get it. That's how faith works. You can say it first in your spirit. Then it works its way out through your soul and through your body. That's how faith works. We're going to be men and women of faith. Then thank Father God for it and let there be corresponding actions. So any men and women of faith here tonight? I'll tell you what, faith's an exciting adventure. The problem is there's no guarantees. John Wimber says you spell faith like this, R-I-S-K. Faith is a risk. It's a great adventure, but it's a risk. And sometimes you may skin your knees. But I think God's looking on the heart. And I would far rather attempt great things for God or little things for God and fail than hold back through unbelief. Because unbelief took the children of Israel into the wilderness. And I've got no time to do 40 years in the wilderness. I'm getting on. I'm 95 now. I mean, I'm doing pretty well for a 95-year-old man, but I don't know if I've got 40 years left. So I don't have a choice. Now, maybe some of you younger folks think you've got a choice. I don't. But you see, I believe it's time for the people of God to get into the promised land. It's part of what God's doing here. By faith. The Joshua generations, the generation goes into the promised land. Joshua generation has nothing to do with age. It's not a younger generation. It's all of us who've come to the kingdom for such a time as this. We go into the promised land together. All the generations. That's what we're about. That's where the Elijah anointing taken us into the promised land. I mean, if you think in the wilderness, how blessed the world. I mean, I was saying last Sunday that in the wilderness... Think about it. For 40 years, they've got manna every day, fed by God supernaturally every day. A couple of times they got quails, didn't like that too much, but they got manna every day. The clothes didn't wear out, and neither did their peep-toe sandals. They lasted for 40 years. And I said to some of our ladies, now imagine bringing that in today's context, if you had one dress a pair of high heels and a handbag, and that had to last you for 40 years. How would you like it? Think about that. Think about it. But that's what it was like for them. And that was in the wilderness. If God can bless us in the wilderness, how much better is the blessing over here in the promised land? I mean, it talks about them coming back with all these big bunches of grapes and all sorts of things, but they were put off by the giants. Well, look, our God's bigger than the giants. And he lives in us. The one who is in us is greater than the one who's in the world. So we can become a people of faith and take the land. I love preaching about faith, you can probably tell. But I'll move on now to forgiveness. I'll stick to the script. I've got 25 pages here written down to keep me to this script, and I've got to, I find it easy to wander off. Does anybody else find it easy to wander off? Anyway, I do. So I've been very good tonight so far. Hallelujah. Forgiveness. You know, I find it very, very interesting 
But in these verses, God is talking about faith and speaking to the mountains and receiving from him. And the two verses after that, and let me just point out, the two verses after that are still in red. The words of Jesus. Therefore, they're all in the context of faith. And it says this, verse 25, comes after verse 24, which we just read. Is that right? 25, 20, good. And whenever you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, forgive him. That your Father in heaven may also forgive you your trespasses. But if you do not forgive, neither will your Father in heaven forgive your trespasses. These are very, very serious words. So what God is saying here, if we don't forgive others, God's not going to forgive us. I'm not talking uh, in relation to salvation here. I'm talking about the things that we do in life. He says he's not going to forgive us if we don't forgive others. I take that seriously, don't you? Very seriously. John Arnott says this, forgiveness is the most important thing we can do if we want to remove the blockages that prevent the Father's love from filling our hearts and overflowing to others. You know, I'm so careful about forgiveness that even if someone, you know, when I'm driving their car, cuts me up, it might be through clenched teeth, but I forgive them. It is through clenched teeth. You know what I mean? Because I refuse to let what that person has done harm my spirit and my walk with God. Why should I suffer because of what someone else has done to me? You see, when we don't forgive people, we think we're putting the mockers on them and we're poisoning them when actually we're poisoning ourselves. That's why forgiveness is so important. I don't want to poison myself. And so I'm quick to forgive. I want to be like King David. I want to keep a short account. So as soon as anyone does something wrong, I want to say, Father, I forgive them and I bless them in Jesus' name. Because doesn't Jesus say that again? That if anyone, you know, speaks all manner of words against you or curses you, that we, we've got to love them and bless them. That means our enemies even. So people that hurt us, we've got to forgive them and then say, Father, bless them. I bless them in Jesus' name. No matter how much we've been hurt, we are still called to bless. Keeps our spirits in a good place. It keeps our souls healthy. So important for us. What forgiveness is not is this. It is not saying the other person was right. It is not saying that what the other person did doesn't matter. It does not mean you have to restart a relationship with that person. It does not mean that you automatically trust someone again and allow them back into your life to hurt you again. It does not mean that. What it does mean is this. It is renouncing retaliation. In other words, giving up the right to hit back. You know, sometimes you want to hit back. Okay, you don't. I do. It's tearing up your IOUs, all this stuff that you feel people owe you. He owes me an apology for that. 
It's tearing all that stuff up. It's getting rid of all the IOUs. And your flesh might not like it. Tough. We're not called to live by the flesh, are we? It is giving people a gift they don't deserve. We've heard about that. It's speaking a blessing over another person's life. It really, really is. <laughs> you see, we've got to forgive by faith, by an act of our will. We choose to forgive. We can't wait till we feel like forgiving or we might be dead first. True. Because you see, when we don't forgive someone, we've got this wonderful habit of just kind of stoking this thing. We work at it. Over the years, we work at it. Until this unforgiveness ends up as a great big root of of bitterness and it begins to defile those that are around us. They better nip it in the bud. See, people don't fall into sin because of some great thing. It's like a stack of dominoes. You stand them all up, all you've got to do is flick the first one. Once the first one goes, boom, 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 the rest go down as a consequence. So we need to deal with forgiveness, unforgiveness straight away, and don't allow it to become bitterness, because it will poison us, and it will harm a relationship with Father God. We don't want that, do we? And we've got to take these words seriously, where he says, if we don't forgive others, I won't forgive you. Well, I refuse to be in that place. So would you need to forgive tonight? Just let me ask you. Anyone you can think of? Think about it when you go home. Don't forget to forgive yourself. I say that often, God, I forgive myself. In fact, sometimes when I do something stupid, which is quite often, I have a little laugh at myself, then I forgive myself. See, I don't take myself too seriously, as you can probably tell. I've learned to live by the grace of God. I couldn't do this job if I didn't. I can't be responding to people's likes and whims and fancies all the time, the idiosyncrasies and the foibles. I can't do that. I mean, I've got enough. You know what I mean? I need people to pray for me. They want me to pray for them, for goodness sake. So don't forget to give yourself. And make forgiveness a lifestyle. Max Licardo says this, forgiveness is unlocking the door to set someone free and then realizing you were the prisoner. I'll read that again because I like that. I'm reading it for my benefit this time. You can listen or not listen, it's up to you. Forgiveness is unlocking the door to set someone free and then realizing you were the prisoner. I've been a prisoner. There's probably things still in my life because I'm in this process of being healed. Well, a little little bit of testimony about 10 or 15 years ago. Alice and I went to babysit for a couple in the church. And they had uh, put a video on for us called The Field of Dreams. Has anyone ever seen it? Field of Dreams? Heard of it? Well, it's about this guy. I think Kevin Costner played the part. His father died and he's a young boy. And he's got this farm. And he's out working in the fields this day, and this voice comes, comes, if you build it, he will come. If you build it, he will come. His father used to be a famous baseball player. I used to play with all these other baseball players. And he had this thing, if you build it, he will come. And he felt he to build this baseball thing on his farm, 
and believing then that his father was going to come. Sounds crazy, doesn't it? But anyway, he builds this thing and he gets his baseball pitch. Then his father and all these other famous baseball players arrive. And Kevin Foster's dad comes up to him. It's his dad. They give one another a hug. Then they walk across the field, holding one another and talking to one another. Now, my father died when I was two. And this was only 10 or 15 years ago. And he, something happened. And so I went home that night. I went upstairs in the bathroom and I got on my knees and I sobbed. I absolutely sobbed my eyes out for I must have been 15, 20 minutes. And then I heard myself from the inside. I didn't the words that just coming out of me. Dad, I forgive you for abandoning me when I was a child. I forgive you for not being there to bring me up. I forgive you for not being there to give me wisdom and take care of me. As I've been growing up all these years. How could it be? After all these years, you see, most of us here have probably got things buried deep inside us and we don't know what's in there. We just don't know what's in there. But Father God, you see, that did nothing for my father. He's dead. But it did something for me. I was the prisoner. I was the prisoner. And God got me out of prison that night. And he's still working on me because I'm still imprisoned by things in my life. Stuff I don't even know about yet, but I'm on this journey. I mean, I'm not here tonight because I've got it all together. These guys, because we've got it all together. We're probably some of the most untogether people you know. Now you know how unspiritual we really are. But you see, God didn't call us because we've got it together. God called us because he called us. Didn't he? <laughs> now are you going to call God stupid? I thought he was. I said, God, you're stupid calling me. And sometimes I think, I look around and think, God, there's all these people so much better than me. They, you know, they can do this, they can do that. And who am I, God? I'm just an ex-drunken sailor with a tattoo in my left leg. <laughs> That's all I am. People have said, Brian, over the years, why do you get that tattoo removed? I say, no, because every time I look at it, I know where I've come from. It's all the grace of God. It's all the grace of God. Why did God call us? You, that, I don't know. You sort it out with God. It's not because I've got it together. You know what I like about grace? It's covered all the mistakes I've made. And I often say to our church, there's two of them, one in 1965, one in 1987. And it's covered. They're under the grace. They're under the grace. But it's also taking care of all the mistakes I've yet to make. Isn't that good news? I'm so free, I'm free to make mistakes. This is great. We've got to be free in life to make mistakes. When you see, I mean, with our children... We've got to give them opportunities to make mistakes, otherwise they never grow. They're never going to be perfect in planet Earth. 
We've got to give them opportunity to make mistakes. And in the church, we've got to have freedom to make mistakes. God gives me freedom to make mistakes. As a leader, I've got to give people freedom to make mistakes. None of us are going to get it right all the time. It's all grace. That's why I laugh at myself sometimes. So many people could do this job much better than me. Even the dog could do a better job sometimes. I think I mean, I've got a pretty spiritual dog. Don't you go around laughing at my dog. <laughs> I'll set the dog on you. Will I go home tonight and tell my dog you laughed at it? You'll be in trouble the next time he sees you. I'll tell you how we don't mean, how we'd want to be in your shoes. Anyway, what am I talking about? What was I talking about? Forgiveness, yes. Anyway, was it forgiveness? What page was on? Oh, it was forgiveness. All right. There's another page in here somewhere. Anyway, what we're talking about now, we're going to demolish strongholds, aren't we? Because if we can't demolish strongholds, we're seriously in trouble. And I'm in trouble because I can't try to stick to notes. I'm better just going with the flow. Anyway, there's a note in here. There it is. I knew it was in there somewhere. Ah, well. Three, it's only because I have one, two, three, that's right. Anyway. anyway, demolishing strongholds. What is a stronghold? Well, let me just read this out from 2 Corinthians chapter 10. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3 through to 5. For, for though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. A spiritual stronghold is basically a wrong way of thinking and the enemy uses that wrong way of thinking to control our lives. And that can apply to an individual, a church, a people group and a nation. The enemy uses it, a wrong way of thinking. You see, some of the stuff that's happening in the world, terrorism and all the rest of it, it's not just getting out the guns and shooting one. It takes more. It's a battle for truth. They've been indoctrinated by a lie, and they need to hear the truth. It's not just good enough to lock them up in prison or shoot them. We've got to tell them the truth. Because there's strongholds, lies in people's minds. And what the enemy wants, he even wants believers to think like orphans instead of sons and daughters. Can you put the PowerPoint one up, please? Just to get a comparison here. And lots of these things are going to be very similar, but you get the comparison. Orphans, insecure. Sons and daughters should be secure, guarded, open, mistrustful, trusting, rebellious, submissive. You get the idea? See, I don't think there's any of us that are 100% over the sons and daughters side. None of us. We might be okay for a while, then we've got a little moment of insecurity or whatever it is, because that's where we are. There's none of us going to be completely old to Jesus returns. We're all on this journey. But there's things that we, we need to be working these things out. So that's just a comparison between often thinking and sons and daughters thinking. 
Now move on to the next one, which is the orphan stronghold itself. Some of the thinking in the orphan stronghold. Look at this. Amal, who's seen Shrek? Shrek 1. You remember the donkey? I'm on the lawn. You remember that? Well, do that again. You remember that? Anyway. I'm all alone. You remember? And then he crosses his leg. No one loves me. I'm all alone. Often that donkey had an orphan spirit. He had. I recognize it. As soon as I saw the film, that donkey's got an orphan spirit. I didn't go and cast it out because I didn't want to make a film myself just in case it wouldn't. But it looked like me, that donkey, an orphan spirit. I'm all alone. <laughs> Have you ever heard these words going through your mind? Hmm? I bet you have. No one cares about me. No one cares about me in this church. I'm not worth loving. God can love everyone else. He can't love me. There's too many things wrong with me. I think it was David, someone saying, like, oh, it was Adam. I'm too fat, I'm too thin, I'm too tall, I'm too short, I'm too good looking, I'm too ugly, whatever. We're laughing when I say ugly. My values and what I do, I've got no purpose in life. You see, the two big deals for unbelievers is this. Who am I? Why am I here? Now, brothers and sisters, if we don't know that, we've got a serious problem. Because we haven't fixed the root. We should know who we are. We should also know why we're here, should we not? Hopefully by the end of tonight you will. And if you don't, I'm never speaking again. <laughs> so where do all these lies come from? Well, they come from Satan, who we've heard again was the original orphan. And he wants us to think like him, but he's not just an orphan, he's the father of lies. You know, it's just part of his nature. Satan couldn't tell the truth if he wanted to because he's just a lie. Whereas truth is part of God's nature because Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. That's just who God is, and God couldn't lie if he wanted to. They're opposites. So the next time some of these thoughts come to you in mind, what's the opposite thought? Just think about that, because that's probably the truth. We need to live out of what the, the Bible tells us, and not all this junk that flies around here sometimes, you know, the best way to stop it is when the airplane comes to land, don't let it get in the landing strip. When that thought comes, just reject it in the name of Jesus. Stop thinking negative stuff about yourself. Hallelujah. So how do they enter? Well, when we're wounded of bad experiences, then we can often plant a lie. And he gets into us and becomes part of our life. And that's the way that we live. We live according to the lie instead of living according to the truth. The battle is, it's not a power battle. You see, years ago, I mean, God used me a lot because I was into it myself, casting out demons and all this stuff. I had power battles. People going across the floor like snakes, picking up tables with one hand. I've done all that kind of stuff. Then I caught on to the fact, hang on, this isn't a power battle, this is a truth battle. It's a battle for the truth. And once the lie is exposed, even there's a, a, a demonic thing in there, when the lie is exposed, they'll disappear anyway. We don't always have to cast them out. 
Light exposes darkness and truth will expose the lie and he's got to leave. It's not a power battle. It's a battle over the truth. And the one who is the truth lives in us. And greater is the one who's in us than the one who's in the world. We're winners. We're more than conquerors. Hey! So praise God. So how are we going to demolish the stronghold? Well, two things I've got down here through an encounter with the Father's love. See, logic can't displace pain. Can't do it. But a positive experience can displace a negative experience. Some people are afraid of experiences in God, and some people say, we just want the word, brother. Well, that's fine. You have the word. I'll have words plus experiences. Thank you very much. Because the word to me, this is meant to be a living book. I believe this book is here to show me what is available to me in Christ. And I believe there are experiences that I can have in God. Now, the experience that I have, I believe should have a biblical purpose. Not just so I go around having experiences. Which some people do. Even in the charismatic scene, whatever. Experience in itself should never ever be the end result. It should get us healed up that little bit more so we in turn can go and bless others. I love to experience God. I love it. You should see me sometimes. Man, I can look weird. You think I'm weird. Now you should see me under the anointing sometimes. Really going for it. But I don't mind that because I just want to encounter God in his terms. I'm quite happy for God to be God in my life. But my experiences must have a biblical purpose. It's so I get healed up, so I get to know God better, so I can then go and bless others out of the revelation and understanding I've got. I am not the end result. Praise God for that. In other ways, through believing and confessing the truth of God's word. You know, Jesus says in John 8, 32, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. The word know there means to know by experience. Not just a head knowledge, it's to know by experience. We're supposed to know the word in our experience. It's supposed to become real for us in our experience. So knowing the truth can also set us free. So a very practical way that we can do this, when God begins to reveal a lie, get a piece of paper, just write that lie down on a piece of paper. There's something about writing a lie down that makes it stark and blunt and clear. And you'll think, how could I ever believe that? So write that down in one piece of paper, okay? Get another piece of paper, write down the truth. So that's clear. Then when you've done that, get your first piece of paper with a lie, throw it away. With a second piece of paper, exercise your authority, say, Father, I repent of agreeing with that lie and allowing that lie to cause harm in my life and I break it off in Jesus' name and I speak your truth over my life. And speak that truth over your life for the next 30 days and see what happens. No good just doing it once. We've got to change our thinking. That truth needs to get into our spirit till it's living and active inside of us. That's why, you know, faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word. We've got to keep on hearing the Word. It keeps it living and active. And it will change our life. 
So having an experience and encounter with Father God's love, but also getting the truth working in your life so the truth sets you free. Wow. Praise God for the truth. And the good thing about the truth is it's eternal. I love that. The eternal truth of God's Word. So I'll just summarize these kind of seven steps, if you like. Can you show that up on the board? Seven steps to demolish the orphan stronghold. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, thank you, thank you. You okay for another two hours? Good. You're not coming up that one? Okay, I'll summarize it then. Get your hitch. So the first thing, confess the orphan stronghold in your life because we've all got them. Pray for the healing of the root wound. God needs to go to the root of these things. I often pray, Father, search me and try my heart. Are there any bad roots in me you need to pull out? Forgive those who've hurt you. Renounce the lies and ungodly beliefs. Exercise your authority. Ask for an experience of the Father's love and continually confess the truth of God's word in your life. There's the next one up there about the lies and the truth, just a comparison. That's not there either. That's okay. It's just a comparison. The, 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 you've got the message between the lie and the truth. Everything's going to be tested against the backdrop of the Word of God, isn't it? Everything. That's our place of safety. This book is a wonderful book. In fact, I wish there was another word for it apart from book. Because we can bring it down to the level of just other books. And it's not. It's the truth. It's filled with truth from cover to cover. Praise God for it. So part of the thing about that being without purpose, you know, the lie is I am without purpose, but the truth is this, that we are here and I am here on Father God's mission. We are here on Father God's mission. All of us. Every Christian, every church, we're all here on Father God's mission. You remember Jesus, uh, young lad, 11, 12-year-old, He's up to Jerusalem to the feast with his parents. Then they all left to go home. They couldn't find Jesus for two or three days, so they searched for him. And they found him in the temple. And Jesus said, I must be about my father's business. I must be about my father's business. And then we read across in Acts chapter 10, verse 38, that how Jesus of Nazareth went about doing good and healing all who are oppressed by the devil. That was Jesus going about his father's business. He was going about doing good and healing all who are oppressed by the devil. You see, it seems to me that if we're going to walk in the footsteps of Jesus, we need to get involved in the family business. Don't we? So we're part of a family. What's the family business? Oh, it's going about doing good and healing all who are oppressed by the devil because we're walking in the footsteps of Jesus. And this is the family business, folks. Isn't that good? I think it's wonderful. I'm involved in the family business. In other words, we are healed for the harvest. That's why we're healed. We're healed for the harvest. Going about our father's business. 
the family business. That's our family. Is God your father? Well, this is the family business. Isn't it good? In the Northampton branch of the family business, we have a particular responsibility to follow the Elijah anointing, to turn the hearts of the children to the fathers and the fathers to the, the, the children, to walk in love and unity, to expect supernatural provision and demonstrate the power of the kingdom because all these things are part of that Elijah anointing. So in the Northampton branch of the family business, we've got some exciting things ahead of us, haven't we? Wow. I bet you didn't know you were in the Northampton branch of the father's business, did you? Say to someone, I'm part of the Northampton branch of the father's business. Come on. Isn't it good? Okay, the words you've all been waiting to hear. Finally. (laughs) Can we stand for this one, please? I'd like you to say, after me, with your eyes closed, God loves me and accepts me. Your eyes are open. You're looking at me. I can see you. You're scaring me, you lot. You're frightening me. Close your eyes. God loves me and accepts me. I love and accept myself. Say that again. God loves me and accepts me. I love and accept myself. Now, the next one's really scary. Keep your eyes closed. God likes me. I like myself. We'll do that again. God likes me. I like myself. Well, being as they can't get the PowerPoint for this, I just want to read this out to close. Remember, there are many unplanned pregnancies but there are no unplanned adoptions. We are individually chosen by God to become part of his family. This is amazing grace and love. Father, I just thank you tonight that we are part of the greatest family upon planet Earth. And God, you're calling us to get involved in the family business as blood-bought sons and daughters, as people who are clear about their identity in Christ, God, that we'd leave the orphan heart behind us more and more. Lord, that you continue to heal and restore our soul and fill us to overflowing with the Father's love and that we would realize, God, we're not the end result, but you are healing us for the harvest. And God, we thank you. Your grace is sufficient to do that. So we bless everyone tonight, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Bless you.